Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SIDERETIREDPOD in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. David Wright, Ed Cranepool, and now Brandon Nimmo. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Side Retire, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan, joined alongside Jack, as always. And while the New York Mets spend, spend, and spend again, because they are the first franchise in North American sports history to have a payroll above $300 million, now with today's moves, they've officially surpassed $330 million with likely that 350 mark right on the horizon. Brandon Nimmo has re-signed for eight years and $162 million. He is now officially the third ever forever Met, joining David Wright and Ed Cranepool in a dub in sort of a thing that we've like to said in Mets history that every time there's a guy that we wanted to be a Met for life, they go away. And Brandon Nimmo is here to stay. The Mets also signed David Robertson for a one-year $10 million contract to be their setup man. A lot is going well in Metsland. Jack, how are you feeling? Oh, it's a busy day. Um, certainly an eventful one. I think we're wrapping up even post-winter meetings, seeing the, the chaos that's ensuing, not really anyone's waiting. And we're seeing the, the current market as is, is really, really high. You know, Jeff Bassett had the comment, um, Brandon Nimmo just exceeded George Springer. And while I'm a fan of Nimmo's, he's an excellent player, and I think it's a great deal for the Mets. He's not on the same caliber as George Springer as a player, and it just shows how the current um, uh, competitive uh, balance tax is competitive balance tax certainly playing in heavily after the bargaining agreement that it was agreed to last offseason. As owners are spending like crazy, players are getting dark contracts as we've never seen before. It's certainly a very eventful offseason, and it's uh, reshaped the entirety of the free agent market. Starting with Nimmo now, I think, you know, he got a long... I, I remember originally, I think it was like five for 100 was the speculative deal. He exceeds that by additional three years, as you mentioned, kind of an unofficial lifetime contract. So certainly a very well-grounded deal and something to be very excited for, as we're not only seeing a heavy, heavy, heavy... Um, rush for teams to to pay their players but we're also seeing them exceed any you know the imaginable and expected uh contract offers for any every and every single player i think putting the mets mets fan hat on for a second when we entered this offseason there were three big marquee free agents that we needed to retain and that was jacob Degrom, that was edwin diaz and that was brandon nimmo diaz got signed i think it was even before free agency began in that five year exclusive negotiating window diaz was done and simple Degrom left we've discussed that he didn't want to be here we've replaced him with justin verlander who's just as good for just as much money and then brandon <sighs> nimmo who it seemed like yeah just as good i'll make that claim we'll get our starting pitches i think for 2023 justin verlander out pitches jacob Degrom not only on a per rate basis but also in um what's it called what's the what's the word you know 
Volk, I'll call it. He pitches like 180 innings versus the Grom's 110. I'll sign up for Verlander's 180. But and then Brandon Nimmo re-signing him was important because it seemed like the Mets were never in on Aaron Judge. That was a pact that they made early and often in this sort of offseason, which I think you then can agree the number two outfielder out there was Brandon Nimmo by a long shot. So the Mets realized. How are we going to replace Brandon Nimmo? Well, it's simple. We just re-sign Brandon Nimmo, and he's now going to be that leadoff hitter, that center fielder. And Brandon Nimmo came up as a center fielder and was disgusting in the outfield. He could not field to save his life. His defense was horrific, and he worked on that, and he became an above-average center fielder this past season out defensively in center field. This now helps Starling Marte go back to right field. Jeff McNeil the guy goes back to second base. And while you can say the Mets are just running their offense back that they had last year, that wasn't really a huge problem for them last year, except for the DH position, which I don't think, and Steve Cohen has now proved that he's going to spend and spend and spend. I don't think that they're out on the DH position, whether that's a J.D. Martinez, whether that's a Brandon Drury, someone else that's going to provide a bat. But the Mets top of that order with Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Pete, McNeil, that is a top tier one through five in the batting order. Bringing back Brandon Nimmo is important, not only on the baseball side, as I just mentioned with his defense, with his offense, but also just for the Mets in general. This is a franchise that is starved for a career Met. We just talked about how Jacob deGrom losing him meant that it was Tom Seaver 2.0, and this was a guy that's supposed to be a forever Met. Brandon Nimmo saw that earlier this week and said, all right, I'll be the forever Met. It is now locked up through age 37. Maybe that number nine is going to be in the Raptors eventually one day if he can accumulate as he's been going. He's on pace for around a 2,000-hit career, which would certainly get him a number retirement if that's all with one team and one organization as a center fielder, especially if it comes along with a World Series championship. Brandon Nemo embodies what it is to be a New York Met, and having him on this team for the next decade is certainly exciting. Your thoughts on Nemo to the Mets, not just the market in general, but just the team-specific New York Mets. I um I mentioned I thought it was a good deal. I think the the longer contract duration of eight years in turn for the shorter AV, I thought was a smart move. I think twenty for a player of Nimmo's character is beyond reasonable and even I think you'd argue is a steal. Um, especially, you know, towards the later half. Um that's gonna be twenty million come the C V T in uh in in twenty thirty is probably gonna be a drop in the bucket, especially for a payroll that you know, by that time the Mets payroll probably gonna be approaching half a billion. So who knows? What it'll look like then but overall i think you'll speak more to the the chemistry and like all those intangibles nimo brings um as a player he certainly is one of the league's best you know he's projected to be about 30 percent better than league average 130 ops guy so he's doing that with league average defense providing those highlight real catches and the um standard trademark sprint to first base after a base on balls so certainly a lot there to be desired and the mets get their guy you mentioned some DH spots, you know, maybe another guy who people thought would be a career met, Michael Conforto still out oh. there. Having I mean, after a sabbatical might be seeing him run it back as DH for the New York Mets, but seems like that's not um I do agree that the Mets are not done, but I don't I doubt they do it via the, the uh the free agent market for their DH, just given the best options would be like J um Michael Brantley, JD Martinez, guys who are kind of looking to refigure themselves either after injuries or slumping seasons. I think it's better they give Francisco Alvarez the shot, whether it's maybe not yet at the full-time catching position. They try him out maybe just at DH where he's more comfortable. He's going to be a hit-first guy anyway. So if you have him run out there, maybe even split time behind the dish, I think that's overall better. And if the Mets do have um, money left in the tank, that's better diverted either in the starting pitching or, as you mentioned, to get a different bat in a, another area of need. 
Well, let's have some fun. The Mets are currently at $330 million roughly for their payroll. I don't believe they're done. I think they're getting another starting pitcher, whether that's Chris Bassett or that's Kodai Senga, who I'm going to make the bold prediction now. Kodai Senga is a Met. Lock it in. Done. Jack, you can make fun of this clip and mock me if in a week from now he's signing with the Dodgers or the Mariners or the Padres, but Kodai Senga is going to the Mets' number three starting pitcher. I'm getting the sense that I know the quote last year was Steve Cohen said, we're not going to spend like drunken sailors. Well, too bad. We are. Um, I think Kodai Senga is going to be a New York Met. That would push your payroll. What's he supposed to get? 20 million ish a year, I think, 20, 25 or so. Yeah, that's all right. So that would push us up to 350, which would then mean that the luxury tax is around 70 million, which would push us to 410, 420 million dollars, which is unheard of at this point. So if you're going to go big, why not just get Carlos Correa to play third base while you're at it? <laughs> I mean, if we're already pushing a 400 million turn off the PlayStation, payroll, Dylan. <laughs> The PlayStation was on when Justin Verlander signed, when Edwin Diaz no, signed. When no, no, no. Those were, those were free agents connected to the Mets who a Yankee fan on a, <laughs> a podcast less than two years old said was going to the Mets. That was not a hard prediction to make. You're claiming Carlos Correa. I mean, besides the fact that he, is, he shares a Puerto Rican heritage with the Mets' current shortstop and says he wants to play with him, there's no in- indication that that will – I mean – also, you have to remember one of the one of the biggest spenders, the Los Angeles Dodgers, have done nothing besides retain. Well, the like, Dodgers Kershaw. aren't going after. We, Correa. Yeah, that's not it's not Correa, but I think you could bet heavily that they're going to be in on Senga or other um, various guys on the starting pitcher market. And in addition to guys like Gansy Swanson, I know they said they don't want to because they're fans, but I find it hard to believe the the Dodgers are going to be out completely. Whether it's just they try to get in, raise the price in any capacity, or just maybe test the waters in the free agent shortstop market, just given. That they rank for, that their weakest spots right now would be the middle infield with Gavin Lux at short, and right now I think it's TBD at second, maybe Max Muncy. I think he slots out better, you know. Um, so it's kind of hard to see what they're going to be going there. They certainly need an infielder with Justin Turner getting the free agent market, and they've done absolutely nothing at the winter meetings. Um, Friedman typically usually likes to uh, assess the market more so, and then deal closer to opening day. We saw this with Mookie Betts. We saw this with Freddie Freeman. So it seems like they are going to be still silent killers and if the Mets do want to make this 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 final you know climactic move that you're speaking of whether it's Sanga whether it's Correa whether it's both that you're you're clearly predicting the Dodgers are certainly going to have a huge effect the Braves are certainly going to have a huge effect Correa you know if they want to Danzy Swanson maybe they want the upgrade and they go after Correa that would certainly be a huge huge move for them the Red Sox just lost Andrew Bogarts today. I imagine they're going to be in the Correa sweepstakes. The Cubs have shown interest in him last year. They're still looking to sign players despite being in rebuilding year. They're going to be in on Correa. So just the vast number of teams the Mets having, you know, they already have a surplus of starters and they still want to be in the starting pitching market. They already have a franchise shortstop and they still appear, as you're saying, to be in the shortstop market. So it just seems like it's not really a best fit now and if anything the Mets would be doing would be t- money talking where we might not be the best fit you might be not be the most comfortable we, we have a winning culture and we're going to pay you a lot of money I don't know how that's going to bode with the remainder of the free agent market especially considering the vast number of um you know better fits just given positional availability and there may be not Steve Cohen but certainly a willingness to spend on even just one uh all-star free agent I just finally love the full benefits of Steve Cohen and his beautiful money. But no, I don't think Carlos Correa is actually going to be a Met. That was just a fun idea that I threw out there. But I do think, I'll put this out there, Kodai Seng is going to be a Met within the next week. Lock that in. Done. 
I think maybe that means that the capstone and this can also transition us to our second event. Rafael Devers, if you're the Red Sox, I think he's got to be on the bar- the market now to potentially be traded. And a team that definitely could use a third baseman that has a guy like Brett Beatty who they could trade to the Red Sox to be the future third baseman. I know this was a trade idea of yours earlier this offseason. Rafael Devers makes a ton of sense for the New York Mets now, especially given that Xander Bogarts is on his way out he signed with the Padres so we'll transition and if you want to throw in a little Devers to the Mets talk that I know you mentioned earlier this offseason but the state of the Boston Red Sox who are now fifth best team in the division maybe they're behind the Orioles maybe they're ahead of the Orioles your thoughts on the collapsing Boston Red Sox franchise I think it's a very strong argument to make that they are behind the Orioles as you mentioned it's certainly a huge scene from 2021 they go to game six of the ALCS and then, you know, we've seen them flip-flop. That's kind of been the move even before Heim Bloom took over with Dombrowski, the past uh, GMs. So just seeing, like, you know, throughout the 2010s and now the 20s, the Red Sox would be in the ALCS or the World Series one year, and then last place the other. They would kind of go back and forth, resetting tax thresholds, acquiring more draft picks. It, that was kind of their business plan. And it seemingly worked. You know, they won multiple championships. So it's certainly... Um, there was no criticism then, but now it seems like, you know, the winning in 2021 doesn't really overshadow, you know, making it to the ALCS doesn't overshadow the last place finish in 2020 um, in 20. And then in 2019, the last place finish. And then this past year, the, uh, the last place finish again. So certainly um, lots of commotion going on in Boston. seems like Heim, Heim, you know, you showed me the article where it's seemingly, you know, he lost his touch with Xander Bogarts. Didn't really take the news well there. It seemed like he expected Bogarts to be back. I read some reports that said that the Sox might not even finish fourth among potential suitors for him, which is rather astonishing just given, you know, the connections there with how he was their franchise player. It was him and Devers really seemed like in terms of marketability-wise and just in terms of um, how well they played together were certainly a dynamic offensive duo and keeping those that young core together. Seem, seemed like a priority for Boston. Like that was a get, they played together in 2018 during Devers' rookie season, the world championship team. And now that lots of that reminisce, you know, Bogarts has been on the team since 2013. He was that original rookie, the utility guy when they won that championship a while back. And then now losing that locker room presence in addition to that plus plus bat, who is arguably one of, if not the most consistent guys in all of baseball. It's certainly a big loss for the Red Sox. One that I'm, you know, it seemed, I've seen several people look, link them to Correa now. I think that might you have to get at one point. Like, is it Dansby? Is it Correa? You have to salvage this offseason in some capacity. Um, Michael K today even made the argument that the Yankees signing Aaron Judge was a double blow to them because that allowed the Padres to save their $400 million that they offered Judge and then in turn go get Bogarts, a move that seems perplex, uh, perplexing to me. I guess that kind of shows the writing on the wall. Potentially, we'll hear your thoughts next. But is Manny Machado then, is it seem like A.J. Preller has accepted the fact he's Machado is going to opt out and then allow him to walk in free agency just given, you know, Fernando Tatis is not a long-term left fielder. Doesn't seem like they have any immediate inclinations to trade him. And Bogarts could uh, fit slot well over in, in third. Tatis goes back to short. Then you have Haseon Kim at second with Jake Cronenworth at first, which is an experiment they seem very determined to try out. So, you know, it's doesn't seem like there's a long-term solution where Bogarts and Machado fit well in, in San Diego. Well, I think what we've seen with AJ Pearl and the San Diego Padres is that he doesn't really care about what's going to happen the year 
after this one, because when we saw him, I believe it was around 2014, 2015, when he went out, he acquired Justin Upton, Matt Kemp, James Shields, and Craig Kimbrell in the same offseason and said, this team is ready to win now. And the very next offseason, he blew it up and traded all four of them away saying, oops, whatever. All right, we move on. Next team. So it seems like AJ Preller cares about the current season and the current season only. So he saw an opportunity where Fernando Tatis Jr. is not only coming off a PED suspension, but also a massive injury that's required, I believe, three wrist surgeries at this point. And he said, yes, we're paying him a lot. And yes, when he's healthy and performing well, he's one of the top 10 players in baseball. But we can't rely on that. So we're going to go fix our hole. We're going to get one of the best shortstops available. It was clear that their owner must have told him, I don't know if, like what the direct quote must have been, but he said, you have $300 million to spend this offseason. Go do it. Because he offered it to Trey. He offered it to Aaron Judge. He started like going down that list of all the free agents. Well, who can I offer this money to? Because it's sort of like... The college student, if your parents tell you, here's a thousand dollars, spend it wisely, you're going to spend all one thousand dollars of it. That way, if you only spend eight hundred, the next year, the guy, your, your parents going to say, all right, you only need eight hundred dollars. That's all you spent last offseason. So here, AJ Preller must have been told you've been given three hundred million dollars. Spend it. And AJ Preller clearly has spent it all and he did it on Xander Bogarts. And that offense is now looking really good. They still need another piece at DH, I believe, in order to make things complete, unless they're ready to roll with David Dahl as their everyday DH. I don't think they are, but it seems like the Padres are definitely in a win now mode. And I don't think AJ Preller is thinking about what's going to happen with Manny Machado next offseason. He's solely thinking about how are the 2023 Padres stacking up against other teams? Although Manny Machado would be a great addition for both the Mets or the Yankees next offseason when slash if he does reach free agency. Alrighty, there were a couple other minor moves. David Robertson also signed with the Mets. The Braves acquired Joe Jimenez from the Detroit Tigers. The Dodgers brought Jason Hayward in on a minor league deal to reunite him with Freddie Freeman. And the Cincinnati Reds signed Silvino Bracho to a minor league contract. I don't think there's anything too notable on any of those fronts. So anything else you want to take away? This is sort of our last winter meetings episode where we saw $1.3 billion worth of contracts given out over the past 72 slash 104 hours, possibly. So anything else you want to say from this week, maybe we'll give you guys another episode or no, is it Thursday? No, it's Friday. No, it's Thursday. This is right. So this is your Friday morning episode. Of course, we'll be back as always next week with more episodes, but your thoughts wrapping up the winter meetings and this week in general, Jack. I thought the winter meetings were a massive success. Uh, you know, um, first one since 2019, which was really the big thing from there was Garrett Cole. Now it seems like there were several contracts in that nature and just that magnitude in terms of the story, whether it's Aaron Judge signing a very similar deal with the same team Cole did. You had Jacob deGrom a couple of days prior, Scherzer, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts. It's just a an endless army of, you know, of free agents. This class was one of the best we've ever seen. And to have it be that they, they come back to the winter meetings in this fashion, certainly a huge thing for baseball, especially for the added element of the draft lottery taking place. Um, I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed, you know, um, covering it with you on on the podcast. And certainly, um, you know, there's nothing like it. it's this time of year, the trade deadline. There's just certain points in the baseball season where we're not really focusing on their, either, either there's no games or there's focusing more so on acquisitions. And that's where I, I really enjoy that, I think. Um, you know, you probably were the same way with either it was Verlander or, or Nimmo. And then to, I was with Judge in terms of the reaction, the excitement. And it's there's nothing like it. I, I really enjoyed it. I think um, those last moves uh, that you mentioned, I thought the one underrated one was Joe Jimenez, a very cheap deal, an RB3 
the Braves show their masterclass. You know, they're at the forefront in terms of analytics. They got a guy who's going to be a very, very effective reliever versus, you know, the, like the Mets. They did it their way. They paid $10 million. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're in, you know, a smaller market team like the Braves and you're able to cut corners like that to get production, I just really admire that. I think that's, you know, why they've been such a successful team and why, as of now, they certainly are, um, despite the Mets' moves, right? You know, I'd certainly say um, comparable, if not better constructed, but that's a debate for a different day. But overall, I guess we'll sign off for the waiting readings now. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed I, I, covering it. A lot of fun. Um, several, several um, memorable moments. And the offseason is not over. There are still, as we mentioned, Carlos Correa, Carlos Rodon, Dansby Swanson, Kodai Senga, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Bassett, Michael Conforto, Nathan Avaldi, Michael Brantley, Justin Turner, Araldis Chapman, yikes, and a lot of other fun names in the baseball world still to be signed. As always, we will be back next week with our regular Monday, Wednesday, Friday episodes, including at least one, if not two interviews. We just figured this week we would be doing these instant reaction episodes every night. So we hope that you enjoyed this coverage and a lot of fun. I know we had James was off this week, a fun week for him to decide to take off and missing a lot of signings. So I'm sure Sunday night, Monday morning's episode will include some Aaron Judge talk and James perspective on that as well. But Jack, if you are all good, signing off from the winter meetings until next week, the side is retired. <laughs>